recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Chris Denninger on Talk Show. Today is Friday, November 23rd, 2012. I see it's a quiet night in the forums tonight. There must be um, a lot of people shopping at Walmart or something, kicking and scratching and beating each other up for Jewish consumer goods and trinkets. Which fits in well with the topic that we're going to cover tonight. I was going to... um, I originally planned to do this program on this night with Clifton Emmerheiser back in early November when I thought I would be in New York for the holiday. And I'm not. I'm, I'm home in Bristol, Virginia. And thought to do Luke chapter 21 part 2 until I had company last night arrive on my doorstep um, with with about six hours notice Mike Delaney and, and his lovely wife and children arrived here about 8 o'clock p.m. last night and, and we had a nice Thanksgiving well, we didn't have turkey but we had a nice Thanksgiving meal and, and um, they're leaving tomorrow so I entertained them today and, and called Clifton Emmerheiser begging to, to do this program with me as originally planned today because I didn't have time to prepare Luke chapter 21 part 2 as fully as I would like. I will present that here next week. Tonight I have Clifton Emmerheiser here and we're going to discuss his and, and present his new paper entitled What's Behind the Edomite Jewish Agenda? Hello, Clifton. How are we this evening? Oh, pretty good. Thank you for being here. It bailed me out this week. I, I, I don't know where you want to start. If you want to just start presenting your paper, uh, I, I mean, this is really about the immigration problem and what's behind the immigration problem in America and, and the flooding of all um, Christian, formerly white and, and virtually formerly Christian lands with, with, with third world aliens and, and, and the Negro and, and other dark races. Yeah, it, um, if you remember right, um, originally you wanted me to talk on um, four different topics, and um, when I got to looking them over, I felt that I could only, I had to, I had to divide it up into two parts, and the last part that we did was um, um, about the Statue of uh, the Statue of Liberty, a uh, an Edomite Trojan horse. Yes, we presented that here four weeks ago. Yeah, and then um, uh, I took I took the other three topics and put them together into this uh, what's behind the Edomite Jewish agenda. But um, I wanted to point out that um, after I did that one on the Edomite Trojan horse, there was one person that uh, uh, didn't like my delivery too well for some reason or other. Uh, He expected something different out of me than what I was doing. He wanted me to um, uh, be more like a preacher or something, I guess. And uh, so I want to notify everybody that, you know, uh, my line of endeavor is more research, and I attempt, attempt to find things and, and, and get facts to back up 
the two uh, two seed line um, Christian Israel identity message. And uh, in that, uh, I don't know why uh, he must have not tuned into the first part of it, because I pointed out ahead of time that I was going to show in the one on the um, Statue of Liberty uh, and even my Trojan horse that I had discovered some uh, data that proved that uh, the uh, Jews, and there was a lot of money put behind it both times, once was in the United States, the other times in Canada, to make, uh, to uh, get the, uh, they call it a back to the land movement for the Jews, you know. And I think if you had to go back to the land movement, you had to go all the way back to Cain. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, of all the different uh, Christian identity ministers, two seed, two seed line included, uh, and, and a lot of good uh, good um, writers and, and speakers on various subjects, uh, they would point out that you, you, you didn't ever find a, um, they pointed it out during times, you never see a Jewish farmer. But he never gave any solid evidence that they had a curse on him. Well, I dug up the, uh, uh, it, it was an accident, uh, but I run across, and I knew, uh, uh, generally when I run into something, I can tell what it is right away. And I, I run into that evidence to show that the, uh, uh, the Jews have still have that curse of Cain on them, and, and um, so they they have to be descendants of Cain to have that curse on. Them. And and I thought I'd point that out before we got started here. And another thing I, I would kind of like to point out is that uh, you know I'll be uh, quoting some Jewish material, and when a Jew says something. He's saying something altogether different than what we think he's, what uh, we think we think that he's saying, or, or she's saying, you know, if it's a female view, and uh, so uh, we'll be getting into some of that uh, with uh, this particular paper. And did you have anything else, Bill, that you'd like to say on the subject ahead of time, or? Well, well, no. I, I mean, you 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 really are a researcher and a writer, and and you come across your your, your delivery comes across as a little stiff in 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 talk radio, but but that's just the way it is. I mean, well, we're not all magnanimous, um, charming personalities. Yet you're here to present the facts and 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 your opinion as to what the facts infer, and that's enough. I mean, that's. That, that's all people should should care about. I, I mean, we're not here to entertain people. Yeah, if 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 people are here to uh, uh, get your fancy tickled, uh, you know, <laughs> at least tonight, that you know, they probably won't. So, uh, uh, but anyway, I'll get started on this. Uh, what's behind the Edomite Jewish agenda? To hit the road running on this subject, I will quote. Uh, the audio portion from a YouTube video on my website. Uh, the Jews, the Jewish Barbara Lerner Spectre calls for the genocide of the entire white European race. Uh, 
and I got that all in in in, in capitals uh, in bold type. You know, the Jewish barber uh, learner specter calls for the genocide of the entire white European race. Uh, and the fact that the Jews are Edomites, all you, all you have to do, do is check Josephus Antiquities, book, book 13, no, it's, uh, yeah, book uh, 13, chapter 9, paragraph 1. Um, and and uh, now I'll tell you ahead of time, uh, uh, um, Barbara Lerner Specter, she speaks in kind of some veiled language. And so as we go along, I, I will uh, explain what what she said in brackets. And so I'll, I'll open brackets and close brackets, and, and then between the brackets is, is, is my explanation of what she's saying. Well, well, she's definitely taking um, a vulgar idea and trying to make it sound scholarly and, and academic and righteous. The, the idea being to overrun Sweden with, with aliens. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, uh, an unidentified Jewess introduces Spectre, quote, as we heard, there are people in Sweden who support Israel and have a deep sense of the justice of the present situation. It's these people who have who give hope to those who still believe that things will get better here. One of them is Barbara Lerner Specter, a former American who made Aliyah, open brackets, meaning migration to the Various Israeli state of Palestine, close brackets. And then 10 years ago, with the help of the government of Sweden, set up a non-denominational institute of Jewish learning with the Greek name Paideia, open brackets, which she also calls the European Institute of Jewish Studies in Sweden, close brackets. Here in Stockholm, she believes that the current wave of anti-Semitism in Sweden will pass and that the Jews have an important role to play in a country undergoing profound change, unquote. Ben Spector agreeing with her introducer, uh, quote, I think there is a resurgence of anti-Semitism because at this point in time, Europe has not learned how to be multicultural, open brackets, meaning racially mixed, close brackets. And I think we, we uh, open brackets, meaning the Jews, close brackets, are going to be part of the throes of that transformation which much must take place, um, Europe, uh, open brackets, meaning all the countries of Europe, close brackets, is not going to be the monolithic societies, open brackets, meaning racially pure-blooded nations, close brackets, that they once were in the last century. 
Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode. The Jews will be presented because of their leading role, but without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe will not survive, uh, unquote. Brackets added so the reader can better understand the motivation of the speakers. Uh, well, well, I don't know if people can follow that uh, very well, but 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 that's um that that's besides the point. It, it, she's basically making a bad idea. Well, what we believe is a bad idea sound um, good and just and and magnanimous and 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 correct and and they that they take this bad idea and paint it up so that it's academic and righteous and and it's the right thing to do and it's the only thing to do for the survival of Europe and and they make it that they couch it in terms so that anybody who opposes the idea can easily be labeled um, a hater, an anti-Semite, an evil person, a bad person. It, it's it's really incredible the way the um the the way the devil can can paint up a pig and make it look attractive. Yeah, well, if, if a lot of people if they didn't um, catch everything that I said there and it sounded confusing. They can just simply go to my website uh, at uh, org, and uh, that YouTube is on there, and uh, it's printed out uh, what she said right below the YouTube. So if you want to review that, uh, 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 go to my website and, and check it out for yourself and see if you think she's saying something other than what I was trying to get across. But, you know, what I say here is, what the hell is Spectre threatening we pure-blooded whites with? And and I've got that in um, uh, all in uh, bold type. Well, well, right. Anybody who could see through her facade can recognize that her words are threatening she she we're going to accept um massive immigration from alien peoples of alien peoples we're going to accept being overrun or or something else is bad to these nations is going to happen and and that is a threat hey, you know, i'm going to tell a little story that um, my mother told me when when my, uh, me and my sister, my sister, his sister and I should say, uh, were pretty young yet, you know. And uh, I didn't know anything about this back then. You know, I, I might have been 10 years old. But I can remember the story. And uh, I think he was talking about Gentiles or something that my mother said, uh, you have to understand that we white people are of all different races. And, it were, and and she mentioned about the, the book, The Melting Pot, you know. And, and I don't know why I remembered that, but I remember the name of that book, The Melting Pot. And, and so my mother was brainwashed uh, into this same thing that uh, these damn Jews are doing here. And, and 
So uh, I, I guess I've uh, uh, got a um, axe to grind here. <clears throat> well, we'll get into some more of. Uh, well, well, all white people should have an axe to grind. Listening to Barbara Spector. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Clifton. Yeah. Right. Um, I have to clear my throat a little bit. Well, uh, uh, yeah, we will uh, go next to the internet at the Jewish magazine, and and I give the uh, um, link here uh, to this. Uh, it's it's uh, quote Broadway plays and Hollywood movies showboat. Uh, and Bill, is, will you have some way uh, when you put this program to put a a link, or, w- or maybe it wouldn't be advisable to let people go to that website and uh, see what it says on that website? Well, well, right. I could put certain um cer- certain links on the the page where the podcast is. I'd like to, before we get into showboat, maybe I could play those Barbara Spector words for people here. Oh, okay, if you can do that. Yes, I can. If I could bring you, if I could get your website up. It's, it, it's slow. When I need it, it's slow. When I don't need it, it's not slow. It, it might be better just to play. I, I have um, another tape I want to play later in a broadcast. It, it's from Annette Kahane. And her insistence that Central Europe be overrun with aliens, and and she's another Jewess, and it goes hand in hand with with, with Barbara Spector. I thought I had Barbara Spector's words on Christogenia, and I can't seem to find them right now. I might be able to come up with them more quickly there. Oh, here's your website now. Okay, let's play Bob Respector. No, I think I'm happy. Here it is. As we heard, there are people in Sweden who support Israel and have a deep sense of the injustice of the present situation. It's these people who give hope to those who still believe that things will get better here. One of them is Barbara Spector, a former American who made Aliyah and then 10 years ago, with the help of the government of Sweden, set up a non-denominational institute of Jewish learning with the Greek name of Paideia here in Stockholm. She believes the current wave of anti-Semitism in Sweden will pass and that Jews have an important role to play in a country undergoing profound change. I think there's a resurgence of anti-Semitism because at this point in time, Europe has not yet learned how to be multicultural. And I think we're going to be part of the throes of that, of that transformation, which must take place. Europe is not going to be the monolithic uh, um, societies that they once were in the last century. Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode, and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. But without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe will not survive. So, so that is basically tantamount to a threat. 
She's saying Europe will not survive. You're going to take these aliens. You're going to be overrun by Negroes and, and every other sort of beast. And, and if you don't like it, that's just tough. That's what she's saying. That, that's ad, it, it's, it, it's chutzpah. It's Jewish chutzpah. That's the best word to describe that with. It, it's their absolute arrogance. It, it's, it, it's, <laughs> I'm at a loss for adjectives, but there are a lot that could describe that. You just, you just heard a dude that likes to brag. Uh, a Jews get to get uh, get in a mood every once in a while. They want to brag about something, and she's bragging about how uh, the people of Europe is going to be forced to be multicultural and and be race mixed, and, and um, she's doing uh, she's doing it in their language. Well, well, absolutely. Her language sounds. Um... It sounds righteous. It 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 it's very craftily. Her, her words are very craftily constructed, so so that they have the the people who want to destroy white Western civilization. Their language allows them to appear as if they have the moral high ground. Well, I'll tell you another little story. We used to have a bunch of um, Jewish-run uh, clothing stores and shoe stores and different things like that. And I imagine most of the towns have the stores like that. And and these Jews, they'd always, when you went to leave, they'd have a nice day. Uh, but they meant something different when they said have a nice day. They meant to have a nice day when they come around and get you to take you to the guillotine. Okay. I, I mean that's probably what what what, what the, where they're all headed anyway. I mean they did it in in first and second century Rome and they to Christians and they did it to Christians in nineteenth century France, right? And and uh, you know they killed around twenty million white Ukrainian farmers, right? Just in that way. And don't think that they don't have the same thing planned for anybody that wants to stay white in this country. It can happen again, and and it most likely will, as they consolidate more and more political control. What which they that they have, I mean, after this this last election, it's absolutely evident that that um whites will will no longer hold on to um the political destiny of this nation. So, so I'd advise anybody that you know if they go shopping and if they run across a Jewish clerk or something like that, and that uh, that Jewish clerk is uh, Talking real nice to you, you think? Well, you know, think again and think over twice what they might have said and and what they might have thought in their mind when they were saying it. Uh, but anyway, we're going to run into some more of that uh, veiled language in this uh, in in this Broadway plays and Hollywood movie showboats. I got to move my uh, screen here a little bit. Um, uh, now, now, this again is a perfect example of Jewish chutzpah, that they have it right out there that they, they've been at the forefront of all, all of the push for, for race mixing, miscegenation, um, equal civil rights for Negroes, and, and, um, and, and equal and colorblind role for Negroes in our society. That They have it right there on... on in, in the most innocuous ways and on the most obscure web pages, but but it's right there in the public eye, 
just like when, when this play was created in the 1920s, it was right there in the public eye. It was Jews doing it. It, it could be easily seen that it was Jews promoting this, this um, basically the destruction of Christian society, and, and they got away with it, and they're still getting away with it. Now, this is why Adolf Hitler threw them out of Germany. This is why he wanted to, to erase them from Germany. He wanted to expel them all because they were doing the same thing to Germany in the 1930s. In, in the 1920s and 30s, I should say. Uh, yeah, uh, okay, I'll get. Uh, uh, I'll probably read uh, maybe a paragraph or so, and we'll probably have a a lot of discussion on what what they say and what they really mean. Um, anyway, it says, quote, Jewish bravery shows up in showboats, Jewish promotion of miscegenation by Walter J. Klein, K-L-E-I-N. Now, what's bravery about uh, trying to force people to mix race? You know, it says bravery shows up in in, in uh, show the the that w- there was um, uh, either two or three uh, Broadway plays and then there were three movies. Now, what was what, what kind of bravery showed up in in those shows and and uh, well, well, it's not really bravery at all, because by 1927, the Jews controlled Hollywood. They controlled the, the, the fledgling movie industry. They controlled Broadway. They controlled what, what got played and what didn't on, on Broadway in New York City. This isn't bravery at all, because the Jews could present just about anything they wanted. They weren't going to risk their jobs and their careers when their bosses were other Jews, when the owners of the theaters and the studios and, and the people, the agents, and the people that controlled the advertising, when they were all other Jews. They weren't risking anything. They weren't being brave at all. And that's, that this is a Jewish writer who's actually revising history. None of these people risked anything. Actually, they're cowards. Yes, they are. I would classify them as cowards. Quote, the heart and soul of Showboat was and always will be Jewish. Now, Showboat's a reference to this play that was produced by Jews in 1927 or, or 1926. I, I just wanted to um, clarify that for the, for, the, for the listeners. Well, it, it, at least, uh, you know, they're pointing out that it's Jewish. Now, if they think it's something other than Jewish, uh, if anybody has the idea that something other than Jewish, they're pretty badly mistaken. Now, here's for once where the Jew is telling the truth. You, you got to kind of look for that, too. A quote, the heart and soul of showboat was and always will be Jewish. Well, if, if you know it's about miscegenation, miscegenation is uh, of, Jew, of, of the Jews. Uh, quote, Edna Faber wrote the timeless novel in uh, 1926. Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein II created the huge beloved score, and Florenz Ziegfeld produced the Broadway musical in 1927. George Sidney II produced the third motion picture in 1951. 
Harold Prince produced the Broadway uh, uh, revival in 1994. Uh, you got something to say about that, Bill? Well, well, the, the, this writer, the, this Jew that's make that that's telling us all these things says it all. They were all Jews, and, and he claims that all made America a better place, right? And, and the eyes of the Jew, they did make America the, a better place because the, and their agenda is no different than Barbara's perspectives. Well, well, it's the same agenda, and this is 1927. And, and we're going to go back further in time with that, but with other references, as your paper points out. I'll, I'll wait for that time. Now, the next sentence uh, is just unbelievable that they make such a, uh, such a statement. Quote, all were Jewish and all made America a better place. In the eyes of the devil, they did. From the devil's perspective, they did. From our perspective, of course, it's not true. Better for the Jews, worse for us. Absolutely, much worse for us. And 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 well, the the Jewish, the the Jews descended from the Edomites, from the Canaanites, and ultimately from the the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the serpent, the old serpent in the garden. The, those that that race of let's call them fallen angels, because that's what the that's how the Bible describes them, who rebelled from God and went off into race mixing. And today, the Jews, their children, their agenda is the exact same agenda, to race mix everything, to destroy the creation of God. Race mixing is the destruction of God's creation. Racism, if I have to call it that, is the upholding of God's creation. Racism is love. Race mixing is hate. Well, if what we've been seeing in the last um, 70 years, say, if that's making America better, I want to go back to when it was worse. Well, well absolutely. Our cities are destroyed. Now that, that the Negroes and, and, and the, the Latinos and all the other squat monsters are being pushed into the suburbs, the suburbs are being destroyed systematically. It's systematic destruction of of, of the, the American way of life, of American values, of, of, of the foundations and fibers of our Christian nation. And, and they've, purposed, they, they've done this purposely, knowing, knowing what was going to happen when they flooded white areas and forced aliens upon white, alien, white areas. They know what's going to happen. Race mixing, crime, and, and the degeneration of white youth. And the next paragraph is just some more bullshit from the Jews. Quote, what makes showboat a source of pride for the Jewish faith uh, wasn't those great Jewish names of literature and entertainment. It was their Jewish ethics, human spirit, bravery, and sense of social justice they embedded in showboat. Boy, that's, that's you know, everything they said there, is, is a yeah, show me any Jewish ethics at all? Well, well, right. It's it, it's actually um, absolutely contrary to the, the the way that we usually perceive the word ethics to be defined. But you know, the word ethics actually comes from the Greek word ethikos, which comes from the word ethos, and an ethos. It, it's related to the word ethnos, 
and which means nation. And ethos is basically that the the way that a people behave and expect others to behave. It, it's it's like a code to live by is an ethos, and, and the Jewish ethics if I have to call it that, are contrary to the way of God, the will of God, the word of God, and the creation of God. Everything about Jewish ethics are contrary to everything that white people uphold and value and, and, and cherish. And that's, so in, in that sense of the word, uh, I mean, look at the, the ethics that he mentions. We've already seen that bravery is just a lie. It's not bravery. It's chutzpah is not bravery. And, and, and these people didn't really risk anything in doing this. Human spirit, well, well human spirit it is the carnal spirit, which is adversarial to God. Um, social justice, and, and Christians should understand that justice and righteousness come from God. Social justice it is a um it, it's basically a jewish concoction it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people it it's it it means really nothing what when when a jew talks about social justice he he could mean quite the opposite as when a, a christian talks about social justice father coughlin's social justice would be nothing like bernard baruch's social justice or, or Jacob Schiff's social justice. So, so that, that's really, that these words are meaningless. And it shows Jewish humanism, and, and it simply shows the, um, that the, the Jew values the destruction of any society that's homogenous and ordered. So these sense of social justice can only be a sense of social justice for the Jews and nobody else. Well, well, absolutely. That's totally contrary to what a, a, a white Christian might see as social justice. The, the word is really meaningless, the term, in, in this context. Well, it was unimaginable in the 1920s for Broadway to mount a musical strongly based on the dangerous conception of miscegenation and I underline conception of miscegenation. Who would invest in such? Who would invest in such suicidal uh, controversy? Who would rent a theater to troublemakers? Who would buy tickets to to witness two leader characters agonizing over their mixed race? And I uh, underline mixed race love affair, underlining mine. And then they, they go ahead, uh, well, just about everyone in America. Everyone in America, every, they probably mean every Jew in America. Well, well I'm sure. Uh, I'm certain. But I mean, they spell it right out. It's a concept of miscegenation. And, and they were promoting it in 1927. And, right. And through the 50s, they were re making this as a movie as late as 1951, right? So they were still promoting the same concept in 1951. And the guy that wrote... Um, and, and the Broadway revival in 
Harold Prince produced a Broadway revival of this play in 1994. Isn't that, uh, evidently Prince is a Jewish name because remember that guy, the Jehoiakim Prince? Uh, well, well, yeah, Prince is, is uh, I mean, I don't know if there are white people, perhaps in England, with the last name Prince. I, I couldn't speak for that. However, it, it's a common name, commonly used name among Jews. Yeah, I, I thought it was odd that, uh, you know, we come up with one of the same names uh, here among the Jews that uh, uh, we find in that Paul Bashing. The, the leading Paul Basher, the leading source for Paul Bashers is a Jew named Jacqueline Prince, yes. So the well, uh, well, just about everyone in America, they probably should throw up. Uh, uh, well, just about every Jew in America. Well, that's right, but the, these movies were sadly popular, and and it it shows you that that our people feed at a trough all the time. Yeah, we go on here. Quote, quote. Once the initial shock was over, audiences fell in love with the depth of the characters. The delicious score, the epic plot development, uh, the charming locations, the brilliant staging, the exquisite mix of heartbeat and humor. Uh, America took to its heart both the, quote, uh, only make-believe, unquote, romance of Magnolia and Gaylord and the brutal reality of Jewish Julie's lover sucking blood from her hand so he could tell the sheriff, quote, black blood, unquote, flows in his veins. So so I imagine that the female character was the Negro in this play. That, that's... Yeah, I, I didn't think about that. It would, wouldn't it? Yes, the female character is the Negro in this, in, in this play. That's That's what's being told to us here. I can imagine some white guy uh, uh, bowing down and uh, sucking blood from the nigger's uh, wrist. Yeah, yes, that's what's going on. And and, and I can imagine uh, that, that I would never go see this movie to, for the purpose of, of researching for a program. I just wouldn't sit to it. But he's telling us for us that the female character is the Negro. Well, which would make it yeah, you know, people wouldn't get as offended even back then. That people, I I believe, would get a lot more offended by seeing a white woman w- with a black male in 1927 than seeing a black female with a white male. That that's I, I would imagine that that's the case, and 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 they probably the Jews that created this that this script and this play probably considered that. Well, we'll find out later on that they, uh, uh, the first thing that they showed mixing were Jews and niggers. Uh, it was race mixing. You know, my father told me a story, and, and he told me this story when I was a child. He told me this story probably before I was 14. My father told me a story that in the 1940s and 50s, he he was shining shoes. He was hustling. He he was he dropped out of school in seventh grade and went to work to to help his parents and and as soon as he could. And and this is during the war and um, during the Second World War. 
and he was a shoeshine boy on Jackson Avenue in Jersey City, which was a neighborhood that was totally overrun by Negroes by the time I was a boy. Well, well at, in his day, when he was young, Jackson Avenue in Jersey City was lined with shops owned by Jewish merchants. And my father told me about how the merchants would close the shops at night and go trolling the avenue for black prostitutes. And he said that was very common, and he saw it all the time. And my father didn't know anything about religion or, or about um, history, but, but he had always cursed the Jews. Well, that reminds me one of my uh, one of my experiences in the barber shop back in the forty uh, seventh and forty eighth, forty ninth. Through there, we still did a lot of shaving in the barber shop. And this one barber shop where I got my first job after I got out of barber school, um, there was a Jewish dentist come in there, and he liked to get shaved uh, uh, quite often, you know, and. Um, I remember that uh, he had trouble with ingrown hairs, and uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd I'd see a big pore, and it looked like down in that pore of that skin, there was a ball of hair down there. So I'd get a get a needle out or a, uh, a real sharp pair of tweezers, and get it a hole of that hair, and I start pulling on that hair, and that thing might be a, a foot long by the time it got pulled out. So uh, he, he evidently had some nigger in him, and that, that hair was real curly, you know, that beard hair, just like a nigger's hair. A foot-long beard hair ingrown into it? Wow. Okay. That, that... But, but he, was, he was all the time getting those ingrown hairs in his neck, you know, and, uh, you know, shaving fairly close, and the edge of that hair... Uh, Making a curve and, and they just turn right around and go right back back into the skin. That's amazing because I've only had a couple of ingrown hairs my entire life. Uh, I, I'm sure we all get a couple, but yeah, I think everybody gets an ingrown hair occasionally. But uh, uh, he he's uh, affected uh, quite badly by it. The Jewish people of today would do well to thank God. Uh, for those of their faith who uh, risk their careers to deliver showboat uh, to the world uncensored. You know, what God are they going to, which God is this they're talking about that they're going to thank God for? Well, well, right. They're certainly not going to thank the God of the Bible because they're trampling the word of the Bible, right? The, the first laws of the Bible are repeated over and over again in Genesis, kind after kind, everything after its kind. Race. Well, you know, the, the Jews, they believe that they, uh, uh, they believe that, the, that God comes to them to see what, what the Torah says, you know. Well, well yes, they do. Race mixing is condemned in the Bible from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Well, so their God is themselves. And the Jews are, are uh, uh, collectively, the Jews are Satan. Well, well, a lot of rabbis have actually admitted that the Jewish people are their own Messiah, the Jewish people are their own God. Yes, a lot of Jewish rabbis have actually made those assertions. They understand that they have no Messiah. 
they have to be their own Messiah. They understand that they could never be Christians, that they could never um, anticipate a, a true Messiah. They know that. And, and their rabbis profess it all the time. Well, he said here, the Jewish people of today would do well to thank God for those of their faith who risk their careers to deliver showboats to the world uncensored. Well, uh, the truth is that none of these people risk their careers, and, and that's just Jewish chutzpah, that they know damn well that they control the media and, and, and the, the, the theaters and Hollywood. How did they risk their careers? Would another Jew fire them for promoting race mixing? That, that would be a first. That, that would be a stretch, too. Basically, these people never risked anything. I, I don't remember the stories, but I do remember the name Edna Ferber from high school, and her short stories were being um, read when, when I was in, in ninth and 10th grade English classes. I can't remember the names of the stories, but I remember her in the books. So, so they were they, they were pushing her still in the 1970s. Kind of like they're pushing Barbara Streisand today, right? Well, well right. But you know, uh, uh, some of their language here, you know, you'd you'd think they're real real religious if you didn't know them better. But but uh, um, what they say and what they really mean are two different things. And, that's what I tried to uh, point out before we started this. Well, well, and again, in, in this showboat review, just like we saw in the words of Barbara Lerner Spector, that they're taking an, an idea that white Christians should consider evil, and they're making it sound righteous. They're making it sound like it's, it, it's the just thing to do, and, and, and that they were at the vanguard of this battle to... to um, to combat injustice and allow people to race mix. Well, there's a passage in the Bible that says they'll, they'll try to make uh, evil good and better sweet and, and uh, uh, a couple other things there like that. Uh, uh, um, well, well, they'll try, they'll try to make a lie the truth and different things like that. Yes. It's, it's an Isaiah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it uh, kind of lives up to that. Uh, consider their risk. Ferber, uh, Kern, Hammerstein, and Ziegfeld were already enormously successful in their professions before showboat. That reminds me of something. Uh, we were talking about um, a risk of losing your, uh, or losing your job or your business or, uh, or so on. You know, there's a lot of people in identity that they've got jobs and they just don't hardly dare say anything uh, when they go to work. Or, you know, the slightest little thing will get them fired. If anybody's taking a risk, it's identity people. Well, well, you know, Christian identity is the only form of Christianity that's true to the word of God, and the proof is in the pudding. The, the proof is that whenever Christian identity Christians um, endeavor to, to advertise or share their beliefs, they're persecuted. They're persecuted by society. 
and and Christian identity is the only form of Christianity that actually um, that that actually proves the words of Christ that that the truth of the word of God would divide households and would divide families. And we see that all the time. Identity Christians see that all the time. And and that does not happen anywhere else in, in, in any of the other supposed sects of Christianity and or, or churchianity, which is what it really is. It's, it's really government-approved Christianity. And government-approved Christianity is the Christianity of the emperor. And... and um, that that's what we have in all of our churches today. We, we, we have Christianity as approved by the beast. Christian identity is the only true Christianity. Well, you've got the, um, the King James Version, which is government issue, <laughs> English government issue. Well, well, yes, it virtually is, yes. It's a, it's a government issue Bible. I'm not saying that any of the other major translations were better I don't believe the Geneva Bible was better, but but um, the King James is a government issued Bible, and and those who who would um, insist that the King James is the inspired Word of God are, are really simply forcing the the, the government approved Anglican Church upon their fellow man. Well, the thing that the um uh, King uh, King James' objection to the Geneva Bible was the notes, uh, and they were along the edges. And anybody that would cut those off, they could have their Bible if they cut the notes off. And then he finally got around, and he brought the Jews in to help uh, translate the Bible. Well, well, it's, so it's clear in history that the Geneva Bible was the first, what was the Bible of the first settlers of, of this land. Well, anyway, Ferber had already won a Pulitzer Prize and an Oscar. And, and you know, you see this so much. The Jews are always, they always got an organization and they'll have a night on television where they, they bring a whole bunch of people in, and all they do is go around and pat each other on the back. Well, well, the Jews are expert at promoting each other as experts and at patting each other on the back. And In fact, I was talking to Mike Delaney about that this afternoon, and we had had um, a discussion, and, and I talked about how in the 1990s, the early 1990s, I realized this from, from the pages of the Wall Street Journal, that every quoted expert in every field was a Jew. And, and the Jews promote each other as experts, and they're experts because other Jews say they're experts. So, so they've propped themselves up over our society in every field. So there wasn't anything special about Ferber for getting a Pulitzer and an Oscar. It was just a Jew pet and another Jew on the back. Well, well, that's all it is. That the, they're all the Jews. That the Pulitzer Joseph Pulitzer was a Jew. That the um, that the Oscars are, are controlled by the Jews of Hollywood. That the the Jews have infiltrated and taken over the Nobel Prize and and. That, that's why more Jews get Nobel Prizes than, than any other religious or racial group you know, in, in, in any field. 
that the um, the Jews are experts at giving each other awards so that they could put themselves over society and, and promoting each other. And, and Christians don't see the bias because Christians don't expect the bias. Christians expect everybody to behave like Christians would expect what would behave. We project, we too easily project our values onto alien peoples. And, and we, that, that is probably our biggest flaw is that we expect the wolves and the beasts to act like sheep, like we act. I don't remember if, if I'm correct or not. It seems like as soon as Obama got, got an office, that they give him a Nobel Prize. Well, well, yes, they did. And the man never did a damn thing. As soon as he became president in his first term, he won a Nobel Prize for whatever, for peace or whatever. He won a Nobel Prize for peace, and he continued the, the, the wars that Bush was being blamed for. Uh, I'm not saying the wars were good. are good. The wars are evil. But, but he, he, he had promised he ran on a campaign to get us out of Iraq and get us out of Afghanistan. And as soon as he got in, he, he magnified the presence in Afghanistan. He never took us out of Iraq, and, and he won a Nobel Peace Prize for, for not ending the wars as he promised. So, so I mean, it's hypocrisy. It's clearly blatant hypocrisy, and, and it's one Jew or one group of Jews awarding another Jew for basically being a good political flunky and for carrying on the Jewish agenda. That, that, that's what it boils down to. Well, that's what amounts to a Pulitzer or Oscar or what's the other one now? Uh, well, uh, well, if any of my books ever won a Pulitzer Prize, I would probably go shoot myself. Well, you'd have to assume for uh, um, some kind of... Uh, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want uh, your material soiled uh, with a... Well, well, right. If, if anybody is getting the approbation of the Jews, that, that then Christians should reject them wholeheartedly, 100%. If somebody's won a Pulitzer Prize, well, well on, on Wall Street, that might be a, a, a accepted as a great thing. But Christians should understand right away that that um, person or, or that deed that won that prize it is satanic in, in its nature. Well, when they give Obama uh, a Nobel Prize, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, they're sort of reaching for the bottom when when they give him one. Well, well, right, but right away we know that 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 is a satanic act, and and Obama is being rewarded by the collective Satan, by the Jews, for for having done something for them. And he's being set up by them as a, a great man, a good president, for, for whatever reason, that they're pumping him up so that he will perform their will. Well, going on here, uh, turning Trubert's profound story, you know, they use some big words there, profound, you know, profound story into a Broadway musical was a professional risk per se putting their reputations on the line by dramatizing the ethical, ethical, question mark, <laughs> uh, confrontation of, of miscegenation underlined. They, they come up with a miscegenation 
uh, word again, uh, could have brought threats of violence to all the Jews responsible. And it should have. Well, well, yes, it should have, but it didn't, because the sheep are docile. And, and I'm sure that nobody saw this coming in 1927, and, and nobody would see, even if people despised it, who, who would know how popular a vehicle this would be, this one play, in, in, in pushing this Jewish agenda? Well, you know what makes me mad? I was born in 1927, uh, uh, and here these sons of bitches are trying to destroy me before I uh, get very many breaths. Uh, the well, trying to kill me before I get started. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's something that um, I've noticed in my own life is that we all like to think that the the world went down the tubes within our lifetime, but but the world was down the tubes long before any of our lifetime started. Yeah, you know it really started back in the garden, right? Now, that's when the world went down the tubes. Is back in the garden. But, but it, it's, you know, the problems which we have in our society today, well, we can always go much further back than modern times to, to, um, to, to identify the root of those problems. Here, we, we're not familiar in our lifetimes. Well, well, I'm not. I was born in 1960, right? So, so I'm not really familiar with race mixing and, and massive integration immigration, integration, uh, until the mid-1970s. That's when I became aware and cognizant of those things. And, and here it is, 1927, um, over, over 40 years before, well, well, 33 years before I was born, that the Jews were already promoting everything that affected me negatively in the 1970s. They were already promoting it in the 1920s. And earlier than that, as we shall see. Uh, uh, I'll go into the next paragraph. Quote, well, we're going to save you, right? Okay, go ahead. You. Okay, uh, quote, anti-Semitism was rampant in America. Uh, show business depended on its light spring... Uh, uh, Slightly unfilled uh, successes, uh, pattern on the past, Broadville and uh, Parlor Banter sold the tickets. Uh, that was years before Gone with the Wind made it to the screen with the words, quote, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, unquote, intact. Long before the word pregnant could be uttered uh, in a movie. Uh, taking chances with social issues was dangerous business, and what kind of craziness was it to go to the? Uh, I got just my screen here. I go to the heart of the black-white sex relations. Got that underlined on the um, musical Mississippi Riverboat. Can you say on that, Bill? Well, well, the the point that he's trying to make is that that this miscegenation issue is being addressed long before the word "damn" could be said in a movie, or before the word "pregnant" could be said in a movie, and 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 um, 
he's trying to make it seem as if the Jews were really cutting-edge good guys by doing this, right? Well, I, I, I never knew that there was anything bad about the word pregnant. I, I don't know of anybody back uh, in my lifetime that ever, ever you know, if you'd say the word pregnant, they, uh, you know, you might say son of a bitch and, or, or hell or something like that, and they'd accuse you for cussing for that. But I'm not. I never, I never heard I'm going to be honest. That might be a re, a regional thing. That because my mother was a um, and, and grandmother were, were born and raised in Massachusetts, and and they, well, when I was a child, a woman wasn't pregnant; she was expecting. And, and I was corrected for that as a child a few times. She's not pregnant; she's expecting. Okay. I remember this, so that might be a regional prohibition, right? Maybe that there was a, um, a a stigmatism on that word "pregnant" in the Northeast that they didn't have in Ohio, right? That, that's all I'm trying to say. I do remember being corrected on that, though. She's not pregnant; she's expecting. The words of my grandmother. Um, that she she was raised a New England Baptist, right? Yeah. Uh, Cold Showboat was uh, without precedent. It was uh, much more than a, a toe in the water, and I would say a, a, a foot in the door or experiment in the sticks. The Edna Ferber story was a powerful statement, nobly published. It's unabashed adaptation to the stage, and the seven, uh, screen was asking for trouble and perhaps room for the creative team. Indeed, the first movie stumbled, the famous, here it is again, messagination sequence, and I got that underlined, was stricken from uh, the 1929 film because, and I underline this again, messagination was banned as a film subject. Uh, when the, the 1936 version was uh, produced, special permission had to be granted from, Holly, from Hollywood Hayes office. Uh, otherwise, the superb performance of Helen Morgan and Julie Laverne would have been eliminated. Irene Dunn's Magnolia Hawks character would have lost depth without her... Um, Close mixed race underline. I underline that mixed race friend at her side. The racial uh, undercurrent was much more than a subtopic. The bond between Magnolia and Julie permeated showboat from stem to stern. Now, now the reference to the Hayes office is a reference to the to the fact that the. Um the, the government censored motion pictures from, from the 30s through 1968. And, and from 1930 to 1968, and, and the office which was charged with, with the, um, the, the censorship role was called, popularly called the Hayes Code or the Hayes Office after Hollywood's chief censor, Will H. 
Hayes, who I gather was in charge of the office, which censored movies. And, and they, only, they didn't allow many topics to be shown in film, and, and miscegenation was evidently one of them. And probably for good reason. The worst thing we ever did, evidently, was stop censoring movies. Communities should censor movies. They sh- they shouldn't allow the Jew to to um, produce his pornography in 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 our and display in our cities. It shouldn't be done in a Christian society. And that's the the freedom that the Jew obtained with the French Revolution was the freedom to impose every perversion on every Christian nation. Well, you can see that the agenda hasn't changed any. It's uh, the, the agenda we have today, the agenda they had back in the 20s, uh, uh, the first of the 1900s, uh, all the way back, you know, the agenda was the same in the Garden of Eden. It was miscegenation, and, and anybody who doesn't understand that uh, Satan had Eve before Adam got a hold of her, uh, they just don't uh, know what the Bible's talking about. Well, well the... Um... Well, well, that's that, that's true. It's miscegenation right from the Garden of Eden, and, and even um, Adolf Hitler recognized that the first sin in the Garden was a sin against blood and race, and and that's how he termed it in Mein Kampf. He understood that Genesis chapter three was all about sexual immorality. That the um, The, the the plot has been the same ever, ever since then. The Germans, the the the, the German, the, the National Socialist Party leadership in Germany in the 1930s understood that the Jew was the purveyor of all pornography, immorality, and, and everything obscene. And and the only way to combat that was to remove the Jew from society. And that's the problem we have here in America. We, we had that same problem all, all over again. And ever since the the, um, the the end of World War II, it, it's it, it's been blatantly obvious that the Jew has done the same thing here with the promotion of every perversion in the media, in the theater, and and in film, and and the pornography, and and. Look at the the degeneration that we've had in our cinema since 1968 when we stopped censoring films. And and it never ends. There's no end in sight to how disgusting, how grotesque, and how perverted Hollywood can get. Did those Jews have doubts? Certainly. Joe Ziegfeld was terrified that Showboat would die in the in the box office because of its complex and troubling storyline. But he stuck with it, his instincts, and I think, yeah, I know where he gets his instincts from, and he stuck with Ferber, Hammerstein, and Kern. Uh, and opening night, I witnessed said the audience barely applauded. I don't blame them. They, they liked show immensely, I doubt that too, but it's it sh- uh, shook and shocked them. I can, I can, I can see where it, where it would shock them. Well, well, absolutely. At this time, people should have been shocked, but but they were still allowed to proceed and and to promote this this garbage. 
uh, quote, after Zigfield lost badly in the market crash, he staged a uh, showbiz revival in 1932. It was the biggest ticket on Broadway. Showboat kept rolling along like Old Man River to become America's longest-running musical for decades. Well, well, anybody that studies popular culture should understand that white Christians have financed and and supported their own undoing in this country by by attending and, and supporting... Jewish theater and Jewish film and Jewish books and, and all of the other trash that the Jews produce and have forced upon our society. Well, that's the end of the um, uh, Broadway plays and, and stuff. You, you want to pick it up from here, Bill? And well, well, right. Here we have a clear example in 1927 of, of the Jews promoting race mixing the Jews promoting miscegenation. Now, what was this story about um, Showboat from this, the, this Jewish author on this Jewish website, and I'll put the links on Christogenia when I post this podcast, that the, um, the Jews are bragging about having done this. They're bragging about having done it 80 years later. And, and, and they're still doing it today. They're still promoting this same agenda today. And and we see that in Barbara Lerner Specter. And, and we'll see it some more. Okay, the next page of your paper, Clifton. We will now consider more maneuverings of those who want to destroy our families and children. And, and this the, this following quote which Clifton made in his paper is quoted often and it's disputed However, it's mostly disputed by Jews and and their sympathizers who are embarrassed by it. At a Jewish conference, January 12, 1952, in Budapest, a Jewish rabbi, Emanuel Rabinovich, spoke before the Emergency Council of European Rabbis. The following is part of that speech, which can be found in William Guy Carr's book, Pawns in the Game on pages 105 and 106. And I quote, and these are the words of Rabbi Emmanuel Rabinovich. I can state with assurance that the last generation of white children is now being born. Our control commissions will, in the interest of peace and wiping out interracial tensions, forbid the whites to mate with whites. The white women must cohabit with members of the dark races, the white men with black women. Now, now, we have to understand that this was behind the Iron Curtain, and the Jews had much tighter control over um, the, the, the peoples of Eastern Europe behind the Iron Curtain. Um, communism was Jewish. All of the communist leaders in Eastern Europe were Jewish, before and after World War II. All of the prominent communist leaders were Jews or had very close ties to Jews. The white women must cohabit with members of the dark races, the white men with black women. Thus, the white race will disappear. For mixing the dark with the white means the end of the white man, and our most dangerous enemy will become only a memory. We shall embark upon an error of 10,000 years of peace and plummy, the Pax Judaica, and our race will rule, undisputed, over the world. 
our superior intelligence will easily enable us to retain mastery over a world of dark peoples. The Jews went on to brag, we are about to reach our goal. World War II furthered our plans greatly. We succeeded in having millions of Christians kill each other and returning other millions in such conditions that they can do us no harm. There remains little to be done to complete our control of the stupid goyim. Now, now a lot of people might think that that's incredible, but the proof, again, is in the pudding. It's a damn shame that we don't have a YouTube of this, that this Rabbi Emmanuel Rabinovich, but we do have, in Eastern Europe today, a woman named Annette Kahane, who is a Jew. And right now, I'm going to play a... a, a, a um, it, it's actually on Christogenia somewhere already. It, it's a pretty popular clip. It's from RT. It's from Russia Today. And this is an interviewer interviewing Annette Kahane, a Jewess on immigration. This, the, this interview occurred... Um, sometime earlier last year, I believe, when when um, Chancellor Merkel in Germany was talking about the failure of diversity, and this was made in response to that. Now, I'm going to play this clip. It's only a minute and 40 seconds, I believe. This is a very good point because immigration is the future. You cannot work and um, live in a globalized world in, in the middle of the world, in Europe, without immigration and uh, moving populations. So you have to really make a good policy of immigration all over Europe. And we see this, that the history of Europe with this long history of nationalism and small countries is now, um, is now getting into a crisis. So um, this, will, be, um, uh, this will, be, will need a long time to, uh, to make it better, but you have to confront this. You have to really uh, change the policy of, uh, of immigration inside Europe. This is very important. You have to make adapt the educational system and adapt all the um, uh, all the self understanding of the states. Uh, they are not anymore only white or only Swedish or only Portuguese or only German. They are multicultural um, places in the world. Anessa Kahane, thank you very much indeed for sharing your opinions with us live here on RP. Founder of the Amadou Antonio Foundation, joining us there live in Berlin. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, well, generation after generation, the Jew has the same agenda to destroy, to destroy the white race. It, it's that simple. They, Jews throughout, who have infiltrated our society, who, who now exist throughout our society, are insisting that whites mix with other races for the survival of what is basically governments. And, and governments are supposed to exist for the benefit and the protection of the people, people don't exist for the benefit or for the sustenance of a government. And the Jews would have you believe that they do. That, that's Marxism. That's Marxism. Marxism, one of the, well, one of the core um, values of Marxism is that man is reduced to a mere economic unit and basically a commodity of labor and, and, and exists for the sake of the government. 
hey, Bill, some of this um, documentation exists in the um, congressional records. Unless somebody has destroyed that evidence, uh, at least at one time or other, some of this evidence, uh, and I, I think it probably still does, uh, exist in the congressional records. Well, well, it probably does. That now we'll see that this plan goes on. That that this plan was being um, forced upon the West even before 1927, with the next section of your paper entitled "A Racial Plan for the 20th Century." And you, that this is actually borrowed from an earlier paper you had done, which was entitled "They're Your Children, Do You Care?" I remember proofreading that at least. 12 years ago, and that was one of your first pamphlets. The following declaration of intent was given in 1912 by a British top-level communist theoretician, Israel Cohen, as recorded in the booklet Who's Who in the World Zionist Conspiracy by James Combs on page 40, and Clifton quotes, the race-mixing program, we must realize that our party's most powerful weapon is racial tension. In America, we will aim for subtle victory. While inflaming the Negro minority against the whites, we will endeavor to instill in the whites a guilt complex for their exploitation of the Negroes. We will aid the Negroes to rise in prominence in every walk of life, in the professions and in the world of sports and entertainment. With this prestige, the Negro will be able to intermarry with the whites and begin a process which will deliver America to our cause. And the fact that that's actually happened, the fact that just a year later in 1913, both the ADL and the NAACP were founded by Jews, bears all this out. The proof is in the pudding. The proof of this Jewish agenda to destroy Christendom through race mixing, it is very clear in history. And Myron C. Fagan, now Myron C. Fagan was a Jew himself, and um, he's one of those Jews that love to tell on Jews for some reason. In Myron C. Fagan's booklet, UN is Spawn of the Illuminati, published October, November 1966. He elaborates somewhat more in depth concerning this matter on pages 16 through 18, and Clifton quotes, around 1910, one Israel Zangwill wrote a play which he called The Melting Pot. The central figure in the play was a very young Jewish boy who ostensibly was a violinist of wonderful talent. According to the plot in the play, certain people were eager to reveal his great talents to the world, and they tried to lease the Carnegie Music Hall for a concert. But the management of the Carnegie refused, ostensibly, because the boy was a Jew. However, very great pressures were brought to bear on the management, of course, from Jewish benefactors and, and, and merchants, and they consented to the engagement. Then, and this was still part of the play, it was discovered that the young violinist insisted upon a young Negro pianist being his accompanist. Again, the management exploded. They had a rigid rule against Negroes performing in their music hall, but again, tremendous pressure was brought to bear on them, and they finally surrendered. 
All that was part of the play. Now I, meaning Myron Fagan, come to the point of establishing that the melting pot was sheer propaganda embodied in the Good Evening's entertainment. The idea in the play was that the United States should be a melting pot for the minority groups, but especially for the Jews and Negroes. And that was the way the critics viewed it and the way the audiences accepted it. As a result of the reviews, the play was a sensational success. Well, well of course, Jews control the media and, and, and the critics, the, the so-called critics, well, well, they get their paychecks from the Jews. Nobody who saw the play recognized the propaganda in it, not even I, meaning Myron Fagan, well, as far back as 1910, and he's writing this in 1966, 56 years ago, there was no reason to suspect propaganda. We all accepted what Zangwill said, Israel Zangwill, the man who wrote The Melting Pot, that it was all a case of humanitarianism. They used that word that far back. Now, get the following. George Bernard Shaw, Israel Zangwill, and another English, and, and he's identified as English, but of course he's a Jew, writer named Israel Cohen composed the triumvirate that launched Fabian Socialism in England. And all three were zealous supporters of Marxism. And, and I've heard Bill Clinton um, described as a Fabian Socialist. I've read that in articles from, from the left. So, so the idea of Fabian Socialism did not die with, with these men. Both Shaw and Cohen came to America to attend the opening of the Zangwill play. Following the performance, Diamond Jim Brady, a famous character of those days, threw a banquet at Delmonico's for the cast and the author and invited many Broadway celebrities to attend. I, meaning Myron Fagan, was one of the invited. There, for the first time, I met Israel Cohen. I had previously known Shaw in England. During the evening, Cohen mentioned that he was writing a book which was to be titled A Racial Program for the 20th Century. Cohen described it as a humanitarian follow-up in book form of the melting pot referring to the play. At that time, that meant nothing to me. When the book was published, I did not get a copy of it. I wasn't that interested in it. It first came to my attention shortly after Earl Warren issued his infamous desegregation decision, and it was brought to my attention by an article published by, a, by the Washington Star, a newspaper of the time, in which they quoted the following passage from Cohen's book, A Racial Program of the 20th Century. The following is the quote. We must realize that our most powerful weapon is racial tension, by propounding into the consciousness of the dark races that for centuries they have been oppressed by the whites, we can mold them to the program of the Communist Party. In America, we will aim for subtle victory. While inflaming the Negro minority against the whites, we will instill in the whites a guilt complex for their exploitation of the Negroes. We will aid the Negroes to rise to prominence in every walk of life, in the professions, and in the world of sports and entertainment, with this prestige, the Negro will be able to intermarry with the whites and begin a process which will deliver America to our cause. The proof is in the pudding. This is exactly what's happened the last 80 to 100 years. 
And it's very evident in, in the world of sports, in the media, in entertainment, and, and every other walk of life. Following the publication of that story, Congressman Abernathy, after checking the star and himself reading the book, published the same quote in the congressional record. That book was published in 1913. The NAACP and the ADL were created almost simultaneously to carry out those directives. And, of course, the NAACP was founded by Jews, and all of its, its presidents were, were Jews for many years. That was more than a half century ago. Can there be any doubt that that was intended to launch our present Negro upheaval, and this is 1966, for a black revolution. If that isn't enough evidence, in 1935, the Communist Party's Workers' Library Publishers issued a pamphlet entitled The Negroes in the Soviet America. It urged the Negroes to rise up, especially in the South, and form a Soviet state in the South, and apply for admission into the Soviet Union. It contained implicit assurance that the revolt would be supported by all American Reds. And on page 38, and, and that would include Franklin Roosevelt and half of the, the, his administration, I'm sure. I'm making an aside, I'm making an aside but, but, and, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but he, they were American Reds. It contained implicit assurance that the revolt would be supported by all American Reds, and on page 38 it promised that a Soviet government would confer greater benefits on Negroes than on whites, and that any act of discrimination or prejudice against a Negro would become a crime under the revolutionary law. Well, well of course, there was never a Soviet state in the South. However, any act of discrimination or prejudice against a Negro has become a crime, and it has become a crime since Myron Fagan wrote in 1966. So, so, so we see again that the proof is basically in the pudding. And the Warren desegregation decision transformed all those communist directives into, into the rigid law of the land. Furthermore, by his own admission, it actually became a crime later in, in, the, in the Civil Rights Act. I, I don't know. The Civil Rights Act may have preceded 1966. It may have been as early as 1964, I really forget. Furthermore, by his own admission, Earl Warren ignored our Constitution when he wrote that decision, admitted that he based it on the modern scientific authority of one Gunnar Myrdal, a Swedish socialist whose book publicly proclaimed contempt for our Constitution and hatred for our form of government. Can there be any doubt? that that decision was framed to conform with these communist directives. When Abernathy published an Israel Cohen excerpt in the Congressional Record, we, meaning Cinema Educational Guild Incorporated, promptly issued a news bulletin in which we published the entire story and warned of the coming Negro uprisings. Two years went by and nobody even tried to deny the matter. But suddenly, after two years, during which the ADL and similar groups had ferreted out all copies of the book and destroyed them, they announced that the whole thing was a fraud, that there had never been such a book, or an Israel Cohen. 
Why did they wait two years? And how could they deny the existence of a writer named Israel Cohen in the face of all the books he had written, copies of which I, meaning Myron Fagan, copies of which I have? More important, bear in mind that Israel Cohen had been a prime mover in all Fabian socialist and communist movements in England. Also that I had met him in person when he actually discussed that the book at that banquet. Now, now Clifton presents what he calls more serious documentation. In or about 1980, a book was published by Bantam Books entitled The Jewish Almanac and is described as a celebration of Jewish life and the Jewish people, a fact-filled book of information and entertainment, traditions, history, religion, wisdom, achievements, compiled and edited by Richard Siegel and Carl Rains, with extensive illustrations, maps, and charts. On page three of this over 200-page book, under the heading, Identity Crisis, A Brief History of the Terms to the Jew, it says... Strictly speaking, it is incorrect to call an ancient Israelite a Jew, or to call a contemporary Jew an Israelite or a Hebrew. The first Hebrews may not have been Jews at all, and contemporary Palestinians, by their own definition of the term Palestinian, have to include Jews among their own people, although in choosing the name Palestine for their homeland signified the opposite, an enclave of foreigners. Actually, Palestine doesn't mean that, but that is the way the Jews have come to interpret the word. From this, it should be quite obvious that the Jews know who they are. Now, these are Clifton's words. Don't you think it's about time the Christians know this too? Don't you think it's about time we stop repeating the lie that the Jews are God's chosen people? The pastors of today have everything just the opposite of the way things really are. The white people of Western Europe and their offshoots are the true Israelites, not the Jews. Of course, everybody listening to this podcast tonight knows these things. However, Clifton had written this paper for, uh, in, in, in order to hopefully attract people from among a more general audience. In the publication Liberal Judaism, January 1949, there was an article entitled Liberal Judaism and Israel, written by one of their greatest and most renowned rabbis, doctor, and, and I say that with my tongue-in-cheek, Abba Hillel Silver. Dr. Silver, writing about the then-new state of Israel, says, quote, The Jewish nation is thus an accomplished fact. The state of Israel exists as a result of the concept of the wandering Jew is bound eventually to disappear along with the term galut, or exile. All nations send forth immigrants to all parts of the world. People are continually moving from one country to another and change their citizenship, but they are not regarded as exiles. This fact alone, the end of national exile for the Jewish people, is destined to affect favorably the psyche of the Jew throughout the world. It will endow the Jew wherever he lives with a self-respect and a sense of security, a normal tone, long wanting in Jewish experience. There's no normal for the Jew. For the curse of Cain, and, and these are the rabbi's words, for the curse of Cain, the curse of being an outcast and a wanderer over the face of the earth has been removed. 
in reference, making that statement in reference to the founding of the state of Israel in Palestine. And I, I, of course, hate to call it by that name. I would like to cite another communist, and these are Clifton's words again, by the name of Ernest Fremont Kittle, a one-time minister at the M.E. Church at Evanston, Illinois, Elizabeth Dilling, in her monumental work entitled The Red Network, speaks of an incident which happened at his church back in the 1930s. From page 37 of her book, Clifton quotes, The time was when Methodism, in its zeal for personal purity, frowned upon dancing. Evidently, I've become. Okay, somehow my top shoe connection was lost, and I reestablished it. Back to Elizabeth Dilling. The Red Network, page 37. The time was when Methodism, in its zeal for personal purity, frowned upon dancing. Some Methodists nowadays were a little opposed to dancing. Even in a church were a bit surprised, however, when several colored men were introduced into circle dances at a dance given in the parish house of Tittles, meaning this um, so-called Reverend Ernest Fremont Tittle, of Tittles Church and were thus forced upon the young white girls as partners. A guide member of the church whose daughter attended this dance reported that when she phoned the assistant pastor about this, He said that these colored men had been invited by Dr. Tittle himself, one of them being the son of a classmate of his at college, who felt that it was now time that the young people learned to mingle with other races. God created separate races, but communism insists upon racial intermixture and intermarriage. Elizabeth Dilling, and these are Clifton's words, went on in her book, The Red Network, written in the 1930s, saying this on page 36, and he quotes, the Negroes are made to believe that the communists practiced complete racial and social equality, and that only when a communist government is set up in the United States will the Negroes obtain equality and freedom from exploitation by the quote-unquote white bosses, and in order to attract and impressed the Negro, the communists 
make a point of encouraging mixed social functions where white women communists, probably Jewesses for the most part, dance with Negro men, and white men communists dance with Negro women. It is openly advocated that there must be complete social and racial equality between the whites and Negroes, even to the extent of intermarriage. All this was written in the mid-1930s, and we have come a long way. This is not, back to Clifton, this is not the only background on the Jews. Not only are the Jews not the chosen people, but by their own words, we can know who they really are. While they have a multiracial background, it may surprise many of you that they are essentially descendants of Cain and Esau Edom. Are you one of those who have swallowed the vicious lie about the melting pot? The Jews try to tell you because you might be a combination of German, Irish, and Scottish, or, or some, any other white European co- combination, that you are already a mixed race. And what difference would it make if a few more mixtures were, were to occur? That is a feminist lie right out of the pits of hell. For the uncontaminated Germans, Irish and Scottish, are all pure-blooded Israelites and of a very pure race. Not only are these Israelites, but also the Anglo-Saxons, the Dutch, the Danish, Swedish, Scandinavian, Norwegian, Icelandic, Canadian, South African, Rhodesian, meaning the whites of South Africa and the whites of Rhodesia, Australians, New Zealanders, Northern Italians, white Spanish, and others who are a pure race of white people. This is brazen genocide, meaning these actions of the Jews. This is brazen genocide of our race. Will the Edomite Jews build the true white Israelites a Holocaust memorial after we are all eliminated, as they so arrogantly predict? Cain, who later absorbed Esau and and. And, and the Kenites mixed with the Canaanites and with the Edomites, started to murder our race with Abel, and they are responsible for the deicide of Yahshua Christ. The world's biggest hate crime was when the Jews killed Christ. Yes, it is. Clifton, do you have any closing remarks? Well, not much, uh, do you? Well, well, no, I mean, there's a lot that could be shown. I mean, we see that the Jews have had, that they've been at the vanguard of the overrunning of the white race with aliens from every other um, segment of the globe, and they've been at that vanguard for actually over, well, well for, for 9,000 years now, or 7,500 years now, or whenever you want to start, start the clock, but but it's very clear in in modern times that they have been openly promoting race mixing and, and alien immigration into white lands for over a hundred years and and in modern records and and we have plenty of evidence of that. Uh, I'm going to quote um that this came off a website that I won't mention because I think that the guy is is himself a, a um. He's part of the controlled opposition. But this this is the list of names behind the open immigration law, the the Immigration Act of 1965. And and these are its major proponents, and these are the people most responsible for it. Senator Jacob Javits, a Jew from New York. 
Congressman Emanuel Seller, a Jew from New York. Leo Pfeiffer, the former president of the American Jewish Congress, and Norman Potteritz, who's a writer and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Today, to this day, this Norman Potteritz is a writer, and now he's one of the so-called neocons, Marxists who have taken, Jewish Marxists who have taken over the Republican Party, and that they have. And, and Pfeiffer and Potteritz wrote many articles and books propagandizing for open immigration. Emanuel Seller, this congressman, this Jewish congressman from New York, fought for unrestricted immigration for over 40 years in the House of Representatives. He introduced legislation, what which called the Seller-Hart Immigration Bill, which was a precursor and, and a model later used in the 1965 Immigration Act. That the only um, major proponent of the Immigration Act that I know that wasn't a Jew, and, and I know a lot of people would question that too, it is Ted Kennedy, and, and he was a whore for the Jews if he wasn't. That the, um, the, the Jews had been behind immigration and, and, and massive immigration into Western nations at every turn. Every um, major shift towards immigration, you scratch the surface and you'll find the Jews. Now, now this is really interesting, and, and Mike Delaney brought this to my attention. And, and this shows you how the Jews um, push immigration and, and how they want to make that their agenda and, and how they want at any cost to, to, um, to keep our borders open, to keep the borders of white nations open. And this is from the Californians for Population Stabilization website. And it's talking about the Sierra Club. It's talking about how the Sierra Club basically sold out and betrayed its own values. And it says that the biggest donation the Sierra Club ever received is one that altered it forever. In 2004, the Los Angeles Times revealed a $100 million gift made by investor David Gelbaum, a Jew. Unfortunately for environmentalists, Delbaum's money came with the string attached that the club never speak out against or try to limit immigration into the United States, no matter how obvious, and, and this is why the Sierra Club spoke out against immigration in the first place, no matter how obvious it became that adding more people has severe ecological consequences. So even the tree huggers have realized that massive integration has a negative effect, at least on the environment. They really don't care about the people, but it has a negative impact on the environment. The Sierra Club began to speak out against immigration because of the negative effect it had on the environment. And this Jew, David Gelbaum, gave them $100 million if they would keep their mouths shut about it. That's the expense the Jew would pay to destroy the white race. Delbaum told New York Times reporter Kenneth Weiss that his instructions to then Sierra Club Executive Director Carl Pope were that 
if they ever came out against anti-immigration, they would never get a dollar from me. Pope eagerly agreed, but with devastating results. And 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 that's it. That, that's um our program on 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 and Clifton's paper on the Jewish hand behind um, unbridled immigration into white lands. And and I would suggest that people print that that that. Paper will be available on Clifton's website this weekend, and and I suggest people print it out and leave it laying around in as many places as possible. Clifton, thank you for joining me tonight. Praise Yahweh. Everybody who listened, thank you for listening. In the end, we win. Yeah, okay. Good night.